0: welcome to the bear hug experience where we cozy up to the fire in our digital den and immerse ourselves in the inspiration born from exploring the hidden narratives and inevitable plot twists that shape every compelling startup journey Join us as we showcase inspirational guests from bold investors with the Midas touch to pioneering entrepreneurs at the helm of today's most thrilling startups. We'll also hear from courageous go-to-market leaders navigating the frontier of emerging tech and the unsung heroes bringing all the people and parts together to form unstoppable dream teams. Here's your host, Craig Ward, founder and managing director of Bearhug Recruiting. Get ready for an insightful journey. I don't know if, the, dream,
1: the, the following is a conversation with Steve Del Orto, a seasoned construction executive with 28 years of industry expertise. Frustrated by the disjointed and inefficient pre-construction planning process, Steve embarked on a mission to revolutionize the construction landscape. He envisioned and developed a groundbreaking software platform that seamlessly integrates people, data, and processes, offering a unified, collaborative environment and a single source of truth for managing diverse projects. This innovative solution empowers modern builders to accelerate project timelines, enhance predictability, and proactively mitigate risks, leading to potential savings amounting to tens of millions of dollars by fostering smoother, more sustainable project execution. Welcome to the Bear Hug Experience, and now, dear friends, fellow entrepreneurs, investors, and startup enthusiasts. Here is Steve Del Orto. All right, Steve. So glad to have you here. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you doing this.
2: No, thanks for having me, Craig. It's uh, fun to be a part of this.
1: Well, how are you feeling coming into uh, this recording today? Um, you've done these before, right?
2: Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I'm feeling great. You know, energized. Uh, you know, the podcasts that I've been on are always fun because they, they challenge you to reflect on certain things and, and it's an opportunity to share experiences, good and bad, hopefully, hopefully it helps people. So, um, love participating in these.
1: Awesome. Well, why don't we start with you telling our listeners what you're up to these days? What's going on?
2: Uh, well, we're building, uh, an amazing platform for the construction industry focused on the early stage planning and all of those processes. And, you know, ultimately we're going to change the way that uh, projects are delivered and making things more affordable, sustainable, and uh, a certainty of outcome that's uh, never been achieved before. So we're, uh, I'm focused on doing some great
1: stuff. Well, I know there's such a need for technology to be applied to that industry because the labor force issue is one big thing. It's such a necessary part of our economy with the infrastructure. So super excited to get into this. I'm a novice with construction. I've obviously done recruiting projects in the construction world, bringing technology to that world. So I'm super excited to be a sponge and learn all about it here as we get into it. When you think about Steve, this, you know, mission that you're on to bring this type of solution to the world, what have you learned? about yourself that makes you so perfectly suited to take on such a project? What are your superpowers that you possess that uh, are really behind the scenes kind of driving this thing?
0: Uh,
2: Well, I would say certainly domain expertise. There's a lot of technology that people go and build and they don't come from that particular industry or business segment or whatever it might be. I just think there's a massive difference when somebody who knows it through and through from the inside uh, can play a role, if not lead the development of the very solution that is necessary, but, you know, obviously within uh, a technological context. Um, So uh, just having that intimate, detailed, nuanced knowledge, uh, I think allows us to build and, and people have looked at what we've done and, you know, commented that, you know, at a rate of production and quality, We're building things, we're building this platform four to five times faster than what they've ever Mm. seen uh, other larger scale pieces of technology built for not just our industry, but in general. So very proud of that. And I think not unrelated to that is from a speed and and quality is, um, you know, I think one of the things that I do well is building teams and building a company leading missions through a team uh, and a team approach. So uh, those two things are not mutually exclusive, and they're coming together to do something pretty fantastic um, so far.
1: So that is what you feel beyond domain expertise is your superpower. It's your fascination with or a passion for leading a, a strategic effort where you can align and hire people to execute and, and be that team leader? How would you label your true superpower that's beyond domain expertise?
2: Uh, well, I think, I mean, it's, it's leadership. Um, mm-hmm. Build a great team and, and to lead it effectively. Um, I think the best approach is to, and it's, uh, I don't mean to sound cliche, but it is literally surround yourself with smart people. And I am rarely the smartest person, I'm probably on the very low end of the spectrum of the meetings that we have in terms of who's the smartest person in the room. I never want to be the smartest person in the room. So, you know, if you do that and you get the right people with the right backgrounds and clearly with the right attitudes coming yeah. together and you can define all the different facets of what it's going to take from an expertise perspective to make, the company successful, you fill those seats carefully. And if you get it right, you know, one plus one, uh, you know, starts to equal five, six, you know, seven. It's just uh, amazing to see the compound effect of having not just smart people and expertise in their respective areas, but also with a team attitude and people that can come together and uh, do it as a, as a unit and compliment each other, have each other's back um, and freely exchange ideas um, and and discuss and brainstorm. Uh, it is amazing what can be done. And, you know, I've had the benefit of, you know, that's exactly how construction is, is done. Every project mm-hmm. has a team, you know, you have a core team and then you have hundreds, if not thousands of people that in some form of chain of command or network are all you know um are all uh connected to that core team um, and so it's amazing if you can get that team in place what you can achieve to build these projects time and time again you know on budget on schedule or ahead of schedule etc and it,
1: mm-hmm. you, know,
2: you get a lot of practice doing that in construction, because every time you start yeah. project, you're yeah. building a new team, and these projects are bigger than a lot of companies in terms of just their, the value of the project greatly exceeds the, the, the size and value of a given company. So you're, you're literally starting up a company each and every project that you're building a team around or leading yourself um, like I did in the early part of my career.
1: And these projects, are they're not short-term projects right? Multi-year oftentimes, right?
2: Mostly. I mean, I had the benefit of just a great array of projects, both, uh, you know, small in the, you know, less than a million dollar range. And those can be done Mm -hmm. in a matter of, you know, a handful of months, but the majority of my career and portfolio were, you know, on the larger scale, you know, at least 50 million. And I had at one point in time, five, five of the $6 billion plus projects that we had going at my former company when I was uh, an executive at a top 10 GC. So yeah, I've, I've kind of seen it all, size, complexity, product type, you know, big staff, small staff, um, you name it.
1: Well, when you talk about the compounding effect of the power of putting together the right team and defining the right facets that allow everybody to support and complement each other and go in the same direction and amazing things can happen. And in construction, you either do or don't hit the timeline and you either do or don't hit the budget. So it's very self-evident. And um, the cycles you've gone through to see that happen, I'm sure have contributed to the superpower being refined over time. And I'm curious to go into maybe some of how this leadership was influenced from your early days. But before we do that, when you think about the flip side of your superpower, what do you often find you have to keep an eye on in yourself
2: you know, the best thing you can do is build that team and, and, and set out the vision and, and, and then the guide points, and then just empower them to do their very best because they're going to do it probably a lot better than you ever could. Um, but, uh, you know, as a leader, and I found this in myself during my years as a construction, um, executive, if you will, is, um, if, if you do something enough, like I did, you start to recognize patterns. I mean, I could almost, almost think of them as like personas. Every trade has a, you know, the the the, the foreman or the PM or whatever. Not that you're stereotyping, but you just see these uh, patterns about how people behave and react and, and conduct business. And so, you know, I would get to the point with our teams that it was a, uh, I felt like I could see around corners
1: mm-hmm.
2: and while that was a good thing, cause I would drive them nuts. You know, I would just tell the, you know, the the team staff, Hey, by the way, you need to be thinking about this because I guarantee you in three months time, this is going to rear its ugly head. We used to call them like storms on the horizon. And so, you know, with that kind of experience, you get to see further and further out the more experience you have. Um, And, but the downside of that for me was, It did introduce us like uh, a lot of like worry, I wouldn't say anxiety, but you know, when you, when you can see all that and then you're taught to encourage them to put the measures in place to mitigate it or eliminate or get out in front of it, you know, there's a period of time where you're just, you know, it's on the back of your mind and you can't, you know, for me, I struggle to just kind of turn it off and completely shed it, you know, because I always wanted to make sure the project was going to come out successful that you know, nobody would have to experience a tough situation if it could be avoided. And if I felt like mm, I'm kind of seeing mm-hmm. this possibly happen, let's avoid it. But I'm not seeing the progress made to avoid it. It would just, you know, mm. it would create a little bit of that. But you know, that's that's in those days. And you know, and then you know, the other thing too is you are on this treadmill of uh, pursuing new work, new opportunities. I mean, that is the lifeblood of. Mm-hmm any company, right? New business in you, then you, you know, you have to then execute whatever that business is that you've won. And, you know, I focus most of my time and energy on the front end of our business because there's, you know, proportionally far, far fewer people in the GC population in any given company that knows how to do that or is, you know, exceptionally good at that. You know, it's almost like there's a ratio uh, that I firmly believe that, you know, out of every 10 people at the professional level, you know, the PM, the superintendent mm-hmm. level at the G, for a GC, and, you know, out of 10 people that would come on board a company, maybe let's just say right out of college, nine of them make a career out of the operations or, you know, the the physical construction phase, and only one make a career out of the front end, the planning of the work, and even fewer in terms of how do you identify the proper work to chase, and take all the steps to secure the project. Um, In That process, you know, you're, 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 you're communicating the value proposition, you're, you know, you're introducing a team, you're building a team to say, hey, here's the right team, that's gonna plan and build your job. And it's not like you win every project that you set out to go get. And when you Put a lot of time and energy into these things, and the answer is no. We've picked somebody else. I think uh, a kryptonite of sorts for me was just taking that personally. You know, like it's this rejection, and I'm starting <laughs> in my new uh, path here with what we're doing at Concentric. I, I I get that same feeling. I, you know, we've got a fantastic platform. And it's really the first of its kind where we're creating really, truly creating a, a category, right? You know, you have in construction platform scale solutions, Procore, Autodesk, etc. Nothing like that exists for the professionals that are doing the pre construction effort. And that's what we're doing, but it doesn't exist. So you have to create and educate and get everybody to, you know, they're so busy, mm. you have to get them to pull their head up and think about, oh my goodness, yeah, Preconing consists of so many different things that I'm having to do day in and day out. And I'm not served by anything except for what I conjure up with an Excel spreadsheet. There's got to be a better way. And when you can get them to pull their head up and really take that mental inventory and realize how much time they're wasting and how much better it could be, they get excited and they're, you know, they get on board. But sometimes when you're talking to people that aren't able to really pull their head out, and, you know, of their day to day stuff and think about this, and then they come back and say, "Well, no, or mm-hmm. not right now, or we're just going to go in a different direction," you know, there's that that same sense of rejection starts to creep back with me. I take it personally. It it can bum me out every once in a while, but uh, you know, it's part and parcel of the life of, you know, leading a company, um, but especially as a startup, you know, you've got to just, you got to get used to it and just keep plowing ahead and know that you're not going to be all things to everybody, but the people that, you know, are on board and, and see the future as we see it, you know, you you I tell myself, celebrate those wins and celebrate those relationships because You know those are the people that are gonna i think be far more successful in the future and if we can be a part of unlocking that success for them then you know that one instance is worth you know a no or two along the way
1: yeah this whole idea of category creation is something that fascinates me i've deliberately made my practice about focusing on companies that are like producing emerging tech that's never been done before it's a completely different motion um Uh, there's a whole educational component you're fighting the status quo often uh, versus other vendors that might be trying to sell a similar solution so yeah i i empathize with that and uh i see that as you know some of the challenges you have to overcome and how uh important this superpower and this sort of kryptonite um can kind of work together there let's uh let's go back and give a sense of sort of how your journey has unfolded over the course of time so Um, I like to do something kind of fun with my guests on this show, as well as what I do with every candidate that I try to recruit. So in the first, you know, typically five minutes of meeting a new candidate for a project I'm working on, I'll have them tell me their life story in five minutes with that artificial time cap being uh, something that they're accountable to holding for themselves in order to see what comes out. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a fascinating thing to see what people choose to share and how they manage that sort of healthy stress of a self-employed time cap. It gives us a lot of interesting things to dive into as we kind of learn about you and how you got to where you are today. So can you take a quick look at the time and hold yourself to sharing with us your life story, uh, from the moment you were born up until the day today that we're, uh, recording this. Uh, for our listeners to understand who, who is this Steve person and where did he come from?
2: <laughs> Five minutes or less. Yes. I'll, I'll do it in four. Okay. Well,
1: I um, come from a great
2: family. Uh, you know, folk, my, my 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 mom, my dad, I've got a brother and a sister. Um, and uh, my father was in the military. And so we moved all over the place. And I think that shaped me a lot where we were literally moving every two or three years, different assignments, and so you know you, you get to be very flexible. You get to make new friends, and you need to be a bit independent at the same time. So I think that upbringing shaped me well for construction because construction at the larger scale can be very nomadic. And if you're especially if you're working for a national contractor, but um, yeah, so come from a very strong family background. Um, Oh, you know, did the usual thing between sports and, you know, high school, went uh, on to college, went to the University of Virginia, um, had a great time in college. uh, And that's actually where I fell into my career. Um, I was uh, uh, an economics major, but I was taking a construction management class in the architecture school and was in a class with um, a professor that had some connections with a GC out of the DC area that was building a few projects on campus asked if anybody wanted to take a site tour and I didn't want to raise my hand because nobody else did but I went to him afterwards and I said hey, I'd be interested so very short we go down to one of the job sites and the executive ran we ran into him at the literally at the construction gate and said oh are you here for the uh, internship interview I said no I'm here with a professor here and uh you know but yeah let's talk and so i walked right into a an internship which then turned into my career during the early 90s when i had uh friends literally pasting rejection letters on their door um because it was really a hard time to um, get employed we were going through a recession at the time so it's just funny how my career kind of got launched but was with that company for 26 years came in yeah an operation, you know, PM route, uh, but ultimately always found myself in the, back then it was largely all bid work. So I always found myself in the bid room. And so along the way, I was just a sponge along the front end of the business. I uh, was asked to move out West um, where we had a, a really, really small outpost compared to our experience, moved to California. And um, it just gave me a great opportunity under uh, an amazing leader at the time is entrepreneurial in many ways. I mean, we were uh, trying to grow a region. Uh, We were not nearly as well known as we were in the, you know, on the East coast in our hometown. And so, you know, basically had to build something not necessarily from nothing, but there was very little there and it was nothing in many of the other market segments. So anyway, just part of that growth story, all the strategy and envisioning of what we wanted to be and, what was going to be, you know, lucrative for us and how we positioned ourselves. And, you know, that just was a fantastic education that stuck with me and, you know, ma- continue to manage active construction projects and build teams and lead multiple projects and the client relationships and the planning and all of that was my day-to-day thing. And then I just started to grow into this, you know, more strategic role and then had the great opportunity to uh, Go and focus on building, uh, expanding our business unit in other directions and other geographies. And so, you know, there's about three to four different growth strategies, growth stories that I was able to, you know, either be a part of for the first one. And then subsequently, the other three were, you know, led by me. And we achieved great results and we really transformed what was a you know, a, a smaller scale operation to an operation that was uh, several years in a row exceeding the size of our main office headquarters operation. Wow. Um, and doing higher returns and, uh, you know, a diversified portfolio that was far more diverse than where we started and geographically going you know, from basically one. Um, you know, I did get to a point where. You know, being involved, exposed, leading, and ultimately having the PMO responsibility for what became a two billion dollar operation, building projects like Salesforce Tower, Uber headquarters, uh, Instagram. Thing. I mean, we just did fantastic.
1: Steve, one of the things that I find that I have to do in my work that I like to do inside of this show is to try to dissect what the early moments in a person's life were that shaped their ability to see the world in a way where a person like you, where there was obviously many people who could have done the same path that you took to go to California and establish sort of this uh, new region or regions, and then to end up at a point where you are exceeding the returns and the sort of diversity of projects of the main headquarters that you originally came from. I just find that so fascinating. So psychologists all talk about this magical age of seven years old, right? And so I think back to what you talked about with your dad being in the military and you having to learn uh, independence and learn to be flexible and how to make new friends. And um, is, there, is there anything that you've been able to identify when you look at the, your peers and say, I'm definitely different in terms of what I've been able to create. And the perspective I've had on the world—is there anything else, just out of curiosity, any other influences or specific moments in time where you somebody took a bet on you, for example, um, really, really, really early that gave you a certain confidence? Or um, is there anything like pre-seven of that really did something in your mind that helped you to become this person who accelerated through an organization to do what you've done?
2: Ah. Uh. Oh,
1: pre seven, um, man, that was a long time ago. You think about the world I'm in, when I talk to candidates, there's lots of people that are VPs of sales. There's lots of people that are VPs of marketing. I've, I do CEO searches too. What makes you a unique CEO than every other CEO? So this is just part of my flow, right? It's what what shaped them, what differentiates them, what's their superpower? What's really the magic of who a person is and what kind of makes them able to accelerate their performance above everybody else? What have you learned about that?
0: Yeah, uh
2: you know, I think you know, there's I think there's a, a few influences there from at least the early childhood years. I mean, the military uh and and the the part of the military that my dad worked within as an officer, you know, not just my dad is an amazing uh individual on all fronts, but you know, he was also working with generals and you know, uh the 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 whole chain of command, but the mission and the focus and the way, you know, everything's organized within the military gave me an appreciation that I've been able to, you know, a a view Mm. and experience that I've been able to leverage all through my career because construction is organized in ways not unlike the military. And so I think that exposure and then just, you know, my father's approach to leading people that were part of his, you know, group, Uh, you know, just the way he did it, which was, you know, humble and kind leadership and everybody looked up to and revered my father. And he just, you know, it wasn't because he demanded respect and he wasn't, um, you know, the the general Patton, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, that, 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 that brusque style or brash style, he was, you know, quieter and just earned respect and and supported his people and set a really strong example and accomplished a lot. I think everybody saw that and and wanted to emulate it and didn't want to disappoint. Um, And so I think a lot of that contributes to my leadership style. And then, you know, family members and uncles, you know, that um, were in the construction industry, very good with their hands. You know, for me, I was always that way. I was always building things. Legos. I wasn't running around with superheroes and all of that stuff. I was building stuff constantly. Tonka truck, Tonka toys and and uh building blocks and drawing mm. a lot. So I think those influences and opportunities where, you know, I was hanging drywall and, you know, doing all these renovation projects, building decks with my uncle, mm. you know, operating circular saws when I'm whatever, eight years old. Um, uh, you know, obviously set in motion the the passion that I have for our industry and, um, and help me recognize where my strengths are. Cause you know, everybody has strengths. You have to find them and not everybody, no, there's nobody who's good at everything. So you naturally have a strength. You have, you know, these, God-given talents. And then, you know, it's just a function of what do you do with them? And I just naturally with, with a few little, with a few little distractions along the way, ended up in the, in the business that I think I
1: was meant to be in. But when you were in college, was there anything in particular that influenced you to want to go into economics?
2: Yeah, I was in, uh, I was in the engineering school and I just got tired of doing all the math. And I thought about it for a minute. <laughs> I said, I don't, I don't feel like And I just didn't know any better. I said, man, I do not feel like drawing, you know, lines on paper and these blueprints and running calculations for the rest of my life. That just isn't me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, I had a bunch of, you know, friends in college, fraternity brothers that were in the economics um, department. I was always fascinated with business in general, but I just said, "Ah, I'm going to make a switch. I didn't do a whole lot. I didn't do a whole lot of research, but the idea was, all right if I'm not going to do engineering, which, you know, I'm not bad at, but I might as well do something that's business oriented. And so economics and transferring into that school, uh, you know, was, was was doable and I did it and I, I found it fascinating. Mm. Uh, and, um, but you know, I, I still draw from some of those concepts just in everyday business life, but, um, you know, just understanding the economy and how it works and how to be thinking about things. And economics, quite honestly, is a lot of data and you chart the data and the lines and everything tell you the patterns and what's going on. And now to this day, building what I'm building at Concentric, it's, you know, amazingly kind of tapping that same same interest that I had, that I gleaned out of all of the economics curriculum. It was just it was amazing to literally take the data and plot it out. And sometimes the answer, you know, becomes quite evident where it wasn't in just like chart form or just, you know, in text, but the minute you can display what's going on with a picture and not just a dot, but lines, mm-hmm. you know, i always big, you say, line, give me lines, not dots because you know, a dot doesn't tell you a trend. And I, you know, just, naturally, that's just a big part of what we're doing within Concentric is taking all of that data and positioning it it visually and graphically, because that really starts to help you tell the story. And so I think if I got anything out of, you know, four years of economics is is the importance of graphing data (laughs) and watching the trends. Um, But anyway, yeah, so that was, um, that's kind of the the, the college story, if you will.
1: The storyline is so fascinating to me how, how you came up through all this. I want to talk more about this absence of a pre-construction platform um, in a minute and the epiphany that was likely a part of this story for Concentric. But I want to go into this GC that you really rose up through the ranks. I mean, having a 26-year career, maybe not in construction, maybe that's not that rare. Compared to, you know, the world of tech that I live in, it's a lot more people jump around a lot more. But. I have two questions for the that sort of 26 year period. One is what kept your attention? I'm imagining there's just constant new things to challenge you, but that's kind of one piece of it. And then I'm also curious, this whole story could sound so organic and natural and effortless, but there was definitely some times where to rise up through the ranks as you did, you had to have made some like major errors at some point or some big mistake that taught you a lesson that you never want to repeat again, or there's some. There's got to be some big pivots in that career progression that I don't want to skip. So, um, what kept your attention? And can you think of a, a moment or two that's worth calling out in terms of a storyline and a lesson learned from a a, a mistake that might have been made that people can learn from?
2: What I like about construction is you, you, it's rare that you're really doing the same thing twice. Mm-hmm you build a project and you move on and build an entirely new project. So it's always fresh. It's that there's new challenges and, and, um, that, you know, that helped keep my attention, uh, as I mastered my craft, so to speak. Um, and then I I was also just beyond the project, just from a career development perspective, uh, again, under some strong leadership was given a lot of opportunity. You know, I was, Pretty much the youngest person to be promoted to be a project, a full fledged project manager. You know, I just had set all these goals for myself that I wanted to be the the youngest or the first, Mm -hmm. and I started to realize, well, that's not maybe the best way to be thinking about it. It's better to be, you know, really focused on becoming a master of whatever you are doing, and then when you when you get there, then it's time to master the next thing. Um, I still managed to do that pretty quickly, but. I did start to really focus on learning every aspect of the business and becoming as well-rounded a, you know, a, a business leader within the construction industry. Um,
1: uh, you can't make mistakes. So You, you can't make mistakes in construction. <laughs> is that what your answer gonna is going to be to my question about? Uh, no, you can. <laughs> and, and you pay dearly
2: for them. I mean, it's, um,
1: you know, I think, um,
2: yeah the I think one of the lessons hard lessons learned is if you if you put off or procrastinate or don't immediately run to an issue and instead you 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 know inaction will kill you mm. you know it will it'll kill a project it will put you in a really bad spot so I would tell you i mean there nobody's perfect and hard lessons learned when you know I knew in my gut that there was an issue brewing and there were, you know, instances where I probably should have run to it faster and gotten into it and, and really dealt with it earlier because it's, um, these issues are more like milk, not wine. They don't get better with time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think looking back being, um, a little bit more responsive on a few of those things, you know, would have been, you know, would have been a good thing. Um, but, um, you know, big mistakes. I don't know. There's probably no shortage of them, Craig, to be honest with you in terms of whether at a project level or just career path um, that, um, you know, if I could do them over again, uh, I certainly would, but you don't, you shouldn't be thinking too much, you know, about looking backwards and you don't want to have regrets. So just operate every day to avoid um, having regret and just keep moving forward and that's what i always just try to practice and not dwell on the mistakes that are made
1: when you were coming up through the ranks were you the guy that was championing the integration of new technologies what was your tech technology influence or the bent that you had toward seeing the gaps and observing what's going on in the tech world were you really early and observing those trends and finding out how you could put those into practice
2: Uh, well, from a super technical side, the answer is no. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone would laugh, you know, um, if I said otherwise, um, uh, but what I, what I always, um, have been passionate about again, back to the, you know, the, the, the nice thing about construction going from one project to the next, it's new, it's fresh. Mm -hmm. I hate doing the same thing, like literally the same thing over and over and over and over and over again just driving up the wall. So I have always have this systems bent, not, you know, in a technical sense, but anything that I could do to put something in place more or less the first time I was doing something, knowing full well that that process was going to be repeated. I was always trying to figure out how to just systematize it. Um, and, um, the, uh, you know, that that to this day drives me and what we're doing now is, you know, you just think about the waste and the time and, and just the brain damage you go through repeating the same manual analog thing over and over and over when we today have the, the 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 ability, whether it's technology or some other device that, you know, eliminates that and can make you more efficient and actually allow you to focus on the things that you should be doing as a, as a human, as a leader, as a, as a creative thinker and not get bogged down in just this rote routine data updating and all these things that today plague our industry and consume and suck so much valuable bandwidth out of the people. At the very time we have fewer and fewer people available, talent available to do what needs to be done to build the things that need to be built. You know, it's, um, that's, you know, (laughs) that is our mission, a big, a a critical aspect of our mission is to just free up the human talent to do what the human does best. And all of this grunt work can be relegated to software and, you know, things that can generally get programmed and put on repeat. So
1: it's interesting talking to a technologist versus talking to more of a strategist or somebody that just has that deep domain expertise, you're not necessarily trying to will technology and plug it in, but you see inefficiencies, you see patterns, and you see a way for the sort of creative aspects of the human mind to be able to be at its best when you reduce some of these mundane, repetitive uh, workflows or tasks that that software, for example, can can handle. Can you tell me just from a more educational perspective, what are some of the big issues, construction in general, is going to have to deal with in the next five or 10 years. It's very slow moving, very traditional in the ways that things are done. We've touched on sort of the labor shortage. Are there any other significant sort of hurdles that this industry is going to have to face?
2: I mean, there's not one thing. There's, there's a handful. Um, and I would tell
1: you, to your comment
2: about the industry being slow moving, I think our industry and I take it personally as a member and leader within the industry where I think we get a bad rap. Mm-hmm. And I think I say that because um, we, we are characterized as slow moving when, in fact, you know, we're not. Uh, yeah. You Outsiders cannot at all fully appreciate the amount of risk, the amount of planning you think about. Mm. Uh, supply chain magic. There's just so many things that have to be done in a nonlinear fashion to bring a project to life. You know, Uh it's construction different than manufacturing manufacturing raw ingredients come into one end of the factory and a finished product on a, you know, linear assembly line. It spits out the other end and everything's there. You know, you, you are getting ingredients delivered, but the labor's there, the parts and pieces get assembled there. Um, but construction you have the the product is in one specific location but the 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 material and the equipment and the and the nuts and bolts that make up that material equipment i mean if you plotted it out it look like a massive spider web completely wrapping the globe right i mean it is all coming and converging almost just in time to Land at the job site to then be installed as a, a finished product that is making up the larger finished product, with product which is the building, and so extraordinarily complex. Right, like Yet, too
1: early is not good, and too late's a problem too. Right, so the, the logistics yeah. of that are insane.
2: So, the, so you know, we are antiquated in some respects. We are slow moving in some respects, but overall, I would say, as it relates to technology. Um I think some of that is because uh good technology that truly is solving the problem and solving in the problem problem in a way that is taking less work, not more by the given individual uh, really hasn't been presented to the industry. Um, and so I think we've all as builders have just been burned with you know having something foisted upon us that's supposed to be saving us time and making us better making us smarter but ultimately it um it it's creating more work for the people and it's not really achieving those things because the vast majority of that technology hasn't been really developed by anybody from within mm. that truly business and for all the reasons I just mentioned about you know this global spider web of all of these things coming together and then you got a plan for that in pre-con I mean it's no wonder I mean it is a very hard industry to, for an outsider to come in and really understand you know truly what's going on and I think the quality of the products that have been produced and given or introduced to our uh, industry over the last several decades may have you know been adopted slowly because they, they weren't exactly ringing the bell. Uh, I know that firsthand, I mean, I was always quick to encourage our people to explore technology, but I was also very sensitive and, and, and in a coaching manner, letting them know, look, you know, don't get drawn to these shiny objects. You need to answer the question for yourself or for your team. Is this saving me money? Is this making things better? Is this really driving a better result than what we're, you know, how we're doing it today. And that needs to be your litmus test, but at the same time, be aggressive about it, be open-minded about it, explore. Um, There's a phrase that I like to use uh, as we were kicking off projects and you're, you're bringing the owner, you're bringing, you know, if you've got an expect an inspection group or agency, you know, there's a few people that I watched use this, um, this phrase. It's, you know we are in this together. We need to build this building. We need to build it right. We need to work together. And when you when, when we're inspecting the project or addressing issues, let's inspect with the purpose of passing. Let's not let's not default to inspect to fail, mm-hmm. picking things up necessarily, presenting obstacles that um, shouldn't be put in the way of progress, and just be fair and balanced about it, and 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 um, be be clear and fair. So, you know, as we uh, would explore technology, we were always, I would always encourage our team, again, be open-minded. Uh, it is okay to be first. It is okay to be early, um, but get into it, but figure out really quickly, is this truly going to save you time? Mm-hmm. Uh, and is worth your, you know, your, your attention to, to adopt and expand. And, you know, we, we, we were pretty early on you know, uh, c- certain, you know, certain software or certain methodologies that truly did make us better. And I think we avoided a lot of ones that quite honestly, weren't going to make us better. And I think the industry has just been plagued with too much of that. So a lot of times they're reticent mm-hmm. to, dig in. um, but I think that's where we're unique in that, you know, not just myself, but a few other folks within our team have, you know, deep domain expertise. So we're, we're building a platform that, you know, we know the business process, the use case, all of that intimately. And I think it makes all the difference in the world and our customers are validating that.
1: Can you walk me through the epiphany that you had? Cause you've been in it so long. So you've clearly seen a lot of areas of opportunity. You've seen a lot of technologies that have overpromised and underdelivered. Um you know people that are not from the industry for example just not understanding the workflow or the timing of things how long ha- can you identify like points in time when the the beginning of the pattern for this particular solution uh which is obviously epiphany or was it just this gradual natural evolution of patterns that synced up but there there obviously was a moment when you're like i see enough now to go do the thing What what did that look like
2: oh it was you know, gradual over time. There wasn't any like magic moment um, per se. It was just too many meetings and not just one type of meeting with one type of, you know, uh, instance, if you will, Mm -hmm. Um, it was across the board. Um, You know, I saw it in the construction phase and opportunities to, you know, communicate better and, and do things faster or in a more organized fashion. But Really, where my passion and excitement gravitated towards, particularly in the last whatever fifteen plus years of my twenty-six year run, was really in the front end mm. of the business planning, and that's where we do have a vacuum of data. We have a vac, and when I say data, I'm not talking about numbers in a, an Excel spreadsheet. I'm not talking about PDF documents and that kind of stuff. That's not data right data is actual information that's properly characterized that is you know structured in a way that it can be automatically used and say computed if you will to do you know the analysis on the next thing without a whole lot of human cleaning and shaping of that thing over and over again so structured data yeah huge value. there's a stat out there that says you know 96% or only 4% of the information flowing through our fingertips in construction is actually usable data and, and, and ultimately used. So you got 96% of all of this information just flowing through our fingers like a sieve. Um, so not an epiphany, but over time it's just a growing frustration that why do we have, I mean, you could have 30 people, Craig, in a meeting, sitting around big boardroom tables, yeah. all filling out it. 200 to God knows what north of that. I'm talking about a lot of money spent in meetings for hours, you know, either arguing or reconciling the starting point for that given meetings discussion, because everybody's drawing not from a single source of truth, but their own recollections, their own take on things. You can see everybody's got their laptop out and their version of whatever facts and truths that numbers and things that they've been tracking. You know, you just got this mired mess and every meeting you spend too much time untangling everything to then put it back into its proper order, then have proper decisions, make made updates and just good discussions and coordination and all the thing that needs to be done. So I just, I just, it was like banging my head against the wall to just witness our teams, you know, doing their very level best with tools and whatever they had at hand to try to guide and shepherd a project along from a cost schedule planning perspective and have an owner on the other side of the table, you know, maybe not with the benefit of a background in our industry. And it's just, it it doesn't make sense to them. They can't track what we're, you know, what our teams were telling them or saying. And, and that bred not distrust because they didn't trust us as bad people. They just couldn't trust the numbers and have a degree of confidence that, present something to them and they can make and take action on that and know that that was well-founded information that they could get their head around. And I mean, that was every single day, every single meeting across dozens of projects, week in, week out. I mean, it was becoming more and more of a pattern. And I said, this is this is insane. We are building a billion dollar project with this jointed, ad hoc spreadsheets there's no wonder why our industry has you know cost overruns of 5% or more and and you know projects that don't get done on schedule whatever they say 75% of the time it's because there's a lack of true data utilization uh, you know unified workflows that are not intended to work independently but complementary and overlapping in often cases that Really is the the machine, you know, all of the levers, the cogs, the gears in this machine that produce a quality plan that can go get built by the construction team and just really execute the plan without a whole lot of mystery.
1: Well, so so you've been incubating this for a long, long time. What was the moment that you said, "I'm going to go build this"?
2: Well, incubate. Uh, I don't know if I would use that term. It's just more of you, know, you, you get the experience and it's like tea, you know, the tea bags in there and mm-hmm. it's just you know steeping in the water and it just gets more and more flavor. Right. So the idea just grow, you know, ideas like this just grow out of experience. And um, then I finally just did hit my, um, my, my, uh, <laughs> my wall. I just said, you know what? I know how to figure this out. I don't have the solution, yeah. you know, map in my head per se, but I know two things. One, I can't keep doing things this way. And there's nothing on the horizon that's going to change the way, the way I can get things done and, and change my life. So I know that to be true. And the second thing I know to be true is I can figure this out. I know how all of this needs to come together. What I need to figure out is how do I start up a company and do the, you know, how do I build software? Yeah, and and I said, well, I know I can figure that out too. And then I just made the made the leap. And yeah, I'm here in San Francisco, so I had a leg up. And you know, I'm I'm in the middle of that whole Silicon Valley scene, and you know, my network of friends, um, that you know, a number of them are not at all involved in construction, but in some way, shape, or form, or in the tech scene or the startup scene, the venture capital scene, and you know, I just started, just started like talking to people and asking them a lot of questions. And it was just my education, uh, self-education that I was going through to, you know, start to put the building blocks in place of, of getting a startup, you know, company off of the ground and, and built. And, you know, I had a, a good friend of mine who, you know, kind of stopped me and said, Steve, think about this. You don't know how to write code. You barely turn the computer on, being facetious. But you know how to do the structural engineering. Did you do the structural engineering for the Salesforce Tower? Obviously not. Did you do X, Y, and Z? No. What did you do? Well, you built the team and you built, if you think of the project as a company, you were the leader that put all of that in place. And then ultimately had the vision and could lay out the milestones and and the pace at which things needed to be done and decided upon. And so you you presented the mission and the vision, if you will, of how to pull all this together, and the building got built by a team of of others that you put in place. Software is no different. And I said, you know, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. And so he was dead on. Yeah, I mean, got into it, and you know, with my product and engineering team, just laying out how things are done. It's just amazing how similar. Those two, you know, call it workflows, if you will, are so it just came. Had, fortunately, has come very natural to me, um, and um, yeah, I, I enjoy it quite a bit.
1: So take take me on a quick little tangent on just the the phases of construction, and help me differentiate between the stage that you're now focused on and the view that you had on certain solutions that. Were being built that are now very well established companies that are technology oriented, that are impacting construction. Um, can you help me understand this sort of, I, I mean, I can conceive of what pre-construction is versus construction. Um, is it as simple as as that? And do you have an, an understanding of why people would focus on the construction phase, I suppose, with like the pro course of the world versus pre-construction? Is it due to the complexity? I'm just curious to kind of understand your view of those stages and why companies may have chosen to focus there and not on pre-construction.
2: Yeah, I think um, the, there's, you know, realistically four stages if you think of the life cycle of a building or a project, but from the perspective of either the builder, same holds true for the architect, slightly different, you know, variation of the theme from an owner and developer's perspective, but you have the call it the, the inception, right? The idea I've got a piece of land. I need to build something on it, and here are the parameters, and and here's all the things I need to do to be positioned to actually do something with this piece of dirt. Right, that's a little bit more the first step for the from a developer's perspective. But then, when that developer or that owner could be a public, you know, works um, department or leader, then the architect and the GC and that first chapter for them kick in, which is they get involved or they're tracking all of these projects in the hopes that they can get involved mm-hmm. through the process. So think of that as the pursuit of the work, chasing the work. Um, <clears throat> that's, you know, call it the, uh, the prequel, but then once you're involved in some way, shape or form, you, the, you, you have to plan the project. You actually have to design it. You have to budget it. You have to do all of this virtual, you know, this coordination to enable the construction to start and be completed in an organized manner. And so it's that entire segment of a a life cycle that we uh, rather creatively call pre construction. (laughs) But pre construction, you know, a lot of people just uh, incorrectly assume that's estimating. Pre-construction involves what the architect and the, mm-hmm. and the engineers from design perspective and coordination perspective, and involves all of the budgeting, the scheduling, the idea exploration. It involves contracts, insurance. You know, really understanding the uh, existing site conditions. It's all of that is underpinned by massive amounts of collaboration and communication. If done right. And then you get into engaging from a GC's perspective, you start bringing in the subject matter experts, the the subcontractors and vendors in the later, typically in the later stages of this pre construction period. And by the way, as the industry has evolved to become more collaborative Mm -hmm. by bringing the general contractor, the building, the contractors in much earlier to be part of the development of the project. Into construction and construction is really the execution of that for sometimes time. precon is now eclipsing, uh, in time the <laughs> length of time, projects and what it takes to build it, and then, then there is the long term operations and maintenance of the building, which a lot of inable climate change implications of what it really costs. and. <laughs> so, um, we hyper focused on that pre-construction segment. But we're addressing costs, we are, you know, I I I think of us as a bit of the Rosetta Stone. We're the company really it's about cost. It's setting the table for success from a financial perspective. Because that's incredibly useful and powerful to help make our customers and the projects more and more successful because they can be more precise. They can have a higher degree of confidence in what they're planning and analyzing and committing to, I mean, it is the fuel
1: that drives Mm -hmm. all decisions. Why have people avoided focusing on the pre-construction?
2: Well, from the outsider uh, perspective, um, I firmly believe it's because it's very hard to understand. It's drastically different than the workflows. And it doesn't even draw oftentimes from even the same people with the same skill sets Mm -hmm. that you have that, you know, build the projects, right? The operations, construction phased folks. The it's a it's a whole different line of work, and so there's just very few people within the industry that are masters of pulling all of that planning together across all these different fractured, um, uh, disjointed workflows that are really serviced by nothing more than ad hoc spreadsheets and, you know. Um, calculators, if you will. Um, And so while it's hard for most people to get their head around and master as builders, from an outsider's perspective, if the insiders, most insiders haven't figured it out, how could you expect outsiders to figure it
1: out? Well, what's the hardest part of deciding to build a solution for this pre-construction stage? Like, I'm so curious how you decided on a way to start knowing there's so much complexity and so many stakeholders. H- how did you, how did you come up with the idea to say this is what we're this is the initial point of the conversation? Is it based on this is a particular point in time where a meeting has to occur to do a particular stage of pre-construction?
2: No, I mean I think if you just say all right, let's just think of it as a blank canvas and let's okay. let's at first inventory and define. As I talk about these myriad workflows, mm-hmm. let's define let's literally topically say okay in a given day what are you doing and let's put a label on what those workflows generally are addressing or oftentimes it's an ecosystem of workflows um, and so that was the first step that I did was actually pull my you know head out of the details and just you know lift it up and, and look long range and start there
1: mm-hmm.
2: and so when you have an inventory now let's now let's you know this this is like if, uh I love whiteboards. a lot of this I did. I literally have a four by eight whiteboard at home, and that's all I do is I just sit there and you know you draw it up there and you you see how to how the dots are currently connected if they're connected at all mm-hmm. and what is supported and then how could we connect those dots in a better, smarter way and where do you start? Well, you start with the biggest pain point and you start with something. And this is not easy. I don't mean to make it sound easy, but where you, you have to consider not only what is the pain point um, as far as like an MVP, to mm-hmm. get the process started, but what's also what's important to the potential customer and what's going to solve real problems. What's also at the same time going to be lucrative for us to start with. Um, and then Knowing full well that we're not building a point solution because in my opinion there's way too many of those, and that's the beauty of how we're positioned as a platform mm. or I think a multi solution platform we have i mean you know, we have eleven major solutions within our platform, the majority of which could stand up stand on their own as a point solution and a successful company Wow, yet we're building within the body of a platform because they complement each other and the data flows through them, not singularly, but literally is the, the one, if you think of the data as like one little bit, and if that bit is literally flowing through these workflows, it, it's constantly getting enriched. It's like the snowball effect. It's getting better, smarter. There's more characteristics that, that around that one bit of data. And that's what we've set out to do, is stitch all of this together, unify all of these workflows in a way that that data from start to then at the end point has become, you know, super powerful for our, for our customer. Um, But that's a hard, that's a hard sequence to stitch together when you have to prioritize the, the customers and they all, you know, generally have the same pain points and the same priorities, but, you know, you do get little variations. So you gotta, you have to consider that. You have to consider what works for us. Um, to maintain this, uh, these adjacencies of workflows to ensure that that data is is flowing in an uninterrupted way that is compounding its value, um, and you've got to do it in a way that, from a resource perspective, for us makes sense too. So it's it's a very very tricky balance to strike. But the advantage that we have is we have a roadmap, and we have all of this literally. Um, laid out and so um, we have the a huge advantage to be able to just look at it and, and 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 see the picture and then decide okay let's connect these two things or let's address this because then this one workflow that we can digitize complements the three others that we just did in some unique ways I Craig I have no idea how anybody at does not have that vision, does not have the advantage of that fully developed, laid out roadmap, could have any vision. It's just too complicated. It's just too – it's disjointed and fractured. And if you don't know how to – it would be like taking a puzzle that you buy from the store and you just like open it up, just a 500-piece puzzle and flip it up in the air and then you got to like piece that all together – you know, it's, it's complicated. And if you know nothing about any of those puzzle pieces, then you have no idea how they should be talking to
1: each other. So this is so fascinating to me to think about how people build products, um, you know, point solutions versus the platform. Um, And you think about the way that you would go to market with a point solution, you know, targeting a particular you know, an estimator or, you know, the GC or whoever the stakeholder is and saying, we can fix your primary pain point. You know, we'll talk about how that connects to other things later, but this can help you do one specific workflow that's can be massively uh, increased in efficiency with this particular solution. And versus the challenge of trying to stitch it all together from the start, like that seems so ambitious. And I'm curious... The decision that you made to do that, it sounds like you couldn't have done it any other way because you're like, if I'm going to solve the problem, I'm going to solve the whole problem of pre-construction, right? But in terms of going out to the market, how have you gotten yourself to focus? I'm trying to imagine with all the different people and the processes and to try to get everybody to come into a singular source of truth to collaborate, communicate, schedule, plan, and do all that stuff, it seems just hugely ambitious. And I'm so curious, how how have what have you learned about the ability to focus so that you can get traction and and put together pricing structures and a model that's going to work. I mean, you talked about like solving the biggest pain point as an MVP. Can you just go into that a little bit more and, and how you've focused there?
2: Yeah, I mean, it is, it is tricky and I'm not saying we've got that aspect of it all figured out. Um, but where we decided to start was um, define what is our what is our vision, you know, what is our, and and the mission to achieve, you know, what we've envisioned
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and boil down to what I found to be successful actually at the project level is uh, you have a lot of different stakeholders involved. You have the owner slash developer, public or private doesn't matter. You got the entire architect and engineering squad, and then you got not just the g c but you have the subcontractors um, you know you the The best way to have a project be successful is to really drive and have a project first mentality yeah, do what's right for the project mm-hmm. so that is the underlying focus and mission for us is we're building a platform. That is not for is, is not a platform tailored just for the GC's need even though there are initial customer uh, and there's a lot of you know there's there's logical reason for that, but the platform is designed to make the project successful Got it And the project is successful, then all of the stakeholders are going to be successful in their own right. Um, and so that's where we started. We started with the workflows that right out of the gate, all three of those primary stakeholders would benefit and they would get some value out of it. Uh Whether they were the paying or sponsor of it didn't matter. There had to be the benefits we needed. We wanted to start where there was going to be benefits for all three, not just one. And that's what drove our decision with, you know, we did start with an MVP, but, you know, maybe contrary to best practices in terms of, you know, how you approach a startup, I had the good fortune of having some great, you know, backers and investors, which enabled us to uh, very quickly grow out of an MVP and really build out a collection of these workflows that in combination really, really started to define and set for the success of the project, the success for all the stakeholders. Number one, number two, an instant appreciation for the power of a platform mm-hmm. and not a point solution that you're going to just try to morph and expand incrementally to suggest it's a platform when it really isn't. We had to start with a platform. People needed to see the power of a platform because, you know, when the industry, as it has been for so long, just wed to these disjointed spreadsheets and you know, you're know, you not thinking about data and you're not thinking about the power of software from a platform perspective and everything it can do for you, you just don't know what you don't know. And you're, if you're doing it year after year, decade after decade, the same way, then you just don't, you, know, you it doesn't dawn on you what's possible. And we really wanted to very quickly show people that, hey, something far better is truly possible. And here you can, you can get a taste of it. And then they start to realize, wow. Yeah. I never, I never thought we could maybe even be planning or or thinking like that or transacting like that. That's, that's amazing. And the cool thing is they start themselves ideating and trying to build off of that. Like, well, if we can make it do this, what about this? Have you thought about that? And we're like, this is fantastic now we got partners at the table ideating uh, with us because even with our you know massive depth of domain expertise you never want to come and approach this with the cake fully baked i learned that lesson the hard way in my years all build work we were trying to win projects and we would you know our designers would just design something so specifically and you know we would think it was just the best and then we'd go in and you know, we you know we wouldn't win and the and the owner's feedback was well you know it didn't feel like we would have any real say because you you know presented something that was really well figured out and it didn't exactly fit our aesthetic or what we were thinking it's like oh, lesson learned don't fully bake the cake keep Lay out the foundation and the framework so that way people can, uh, you know, they can get what you're going to do and suggesting. And, and and 95% of it will go along exactly with what they would want and think, but you got to leave it open for feedback. And so it's intended to be really a collection of the best of the best ideas, the best of the best practices. Mm-hmm. And that's how we, you know, hope, we can have a positive impact and lift the industry up.
1: So, how did you figure out your pricing and your buyer? Like, did you figure out that it was the the landowner or the the developer primarily at the start, and other people plug in and and use what someone else is paying for? What have you figured out in terms of the model?
2: Well, um, we haven't figured it all out, by the way. But um, and I don't think any software company ever has it. Yeah. finally figured Early out especially to adapt
1: yeah
2: chain as you grow you're providing more and more value and how do you how do you um you know support the customer in, you know what they need and the value they're going to extract out of the platform yeah um and reassess that you know often but ultimately um we start we ruled out you know building something that initially would be bought and sold to the owner
1: mm-hmm.
2: from a top-down perspective. Um, I've just seen too many top-down approaches because I'm a uh, I'm a venture partner at two different venture capital funds and yeah you know, the top-down approaches in our industry do not work mm-hmm. uh, or rarely rarely work when it is dependent upon data. Mm-hmm. The data, like I was saying at the beginning, isn't structured, isn't readily available. And so you've got this top-down software, like, you know, if you had a straw in your mouth and you're just trying to suck data in, it doesn't exist. So there's nothing that really truly can come in that anybody's going to get any use out of. Yeah. So, you know, for that reason, and then, you know, just being familiar with the lay of the land, if you will, on how things are responsibilities are delegated and allocated and and contractual uh, relationships and the nuances there, you know, it just made sense to start with making all three parties, the owner, the architect, the builder successful, but doing it through the very workflows that are being often mostly delegated by the owner to the GC to Administrate or to lead or keep track of on their behalf. Okay. And so by building and addressing the workflows, again, project first mentality serving all three, but addressing the very workflows that don't exist in any formal sense that, if done well, makes things easier and better for the owner, makes things better and easier for the architect, and at the same time, making the work to prepare all of that and just generally better and easier for the builder all simultaneously. And it just started with who is the person responsible for all of these things that happen in pre-construction outside of the literal design work that's being done. Uh A lot of that effort is kept track of, managed, or created by the general contractor. And so that's our origin
1: point and the starting point at which you can make your biggest impact and not run into too much friction when things are too far along at what point in that inception or design phase are you finding that you need to get involved to where it's not too early or too late
2: okay um well the good news about as a platform with you know multiple solutions that are addressing pain points and workflows that are predominantly used at different stages of Uh pre-con it's unless you're just literally 99% complete with your pre-construction effort, there's a lot of value that concentric provides no matter what stage of Uh pre-con that you would initiate. So we have a lot of inherent flexibility that way from our customer's perspective to instantly add value and they're not usually engaged in just one project at a time. Oh, uh, yeah. It's just just this this um conveyor belt yeah. of projects and the timing is not predictable, but they're oftentimes juggling a few at a time and it's just continuous. So it's rare that you know somebody doesn't have a project that they can put on the platform um you know within days or weeks of us you know, engaging with them, mm-hmm. and and then provide value. And are you
1: so are you, are you uh, finding like a natural adoption cycle where the one project comes in under one of these eleven sort of modules or workflows, and they're able to see the value in changing their behavior that they were doing and doing it more inside of your stuff, and then plugging in other projects. Is that sort of the adoption curve that you're looking for?
2: Yeah, and you know, we we do a lot to help them structure their prior. Project data
1: mm-hmm.
2: that is you know the pre-construction efforts done, but there's you know valuable information there that can inform the the future project that is you know similar in type and 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 you know characteristics whatever. But um, so there's there's the history and there's just the data structuring benefit that we provide as they put old or new projects on the platform. And then when they engage with an active project, the workflows that we've built you know help them in you know dozens of different ways to um, what we call what we like to call addition by subtraction mm-hmm. let us help replace that Excel uh, workbook that you know it's not like you have a common template that everybody's adopted and used you're replacing something that is you know non-standard and so let's help you standardize your product in the eyes of your customers and help you make sense of the data so that it can be usable and at the same time help you communicate and collaborate more efficiently help you communicate more effectively to the owner to the architect by helping them visualize all of this complex data that you are pulling together because that you know, is done in one language. That's like the estimators language. Mm-hmm. And then they cross the table and they try to present that to the owner. And 99 times out of, you know, a hundred, it's like somebody talking in Russian to somebody who only understands Italian. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, you know, the way we can bridge this again, going back to my you know, economics and what I got out of my the academic life is taking that data and helping people visualize it. Yeah. in a way that makes in the construction vernacular. Yeah. And so that's been the, you know, some of the great feedback that we've gotten from our customers customers, you know, the the owners and the developers. You know, we're getting, you know, passed to us and hearing directly this is amazing. Oh, that's so cool. Nobody's ever Yeah, nobody's ever come. No general contractor's ever come to a meeting huh. with the ability to communicate to us in a way that we can just in an instant understand exactly where we are today, where we were before, and what is the realm of possibilities of where this project will go in the future. Cost wise, time-wise, size and shape of project, physically, et cetera, they're just blown away. And you know what, what they're getting from it is a much higher degree of transparency. And with transparency, it's a lot easier to build confidence and trust, mm. just person to person, because it's not opaque anymore. Um, and then the confidence in the data, in the information, in the way it's being received and digested by the by the owner. You know, you can make an Excel spreadsheet say anything you want. Yeah, and people know that. So there's this. There's this discounting or distrust mm. when they see it come from this third party formal software as output, there's a higher degree of confidence that hey this this data is would presumably be more legitimate because it's in a much more structured you know third party piece of software love it and so i th- yeah i mean and and that's true I mean that's just it's true um
1: best practices are so, baked are baked into the software and things are computed and are spit out and visualized in ways that like, this is the source of truth. <laughs> it's, that's great. Well, correct. I got
2: this really dumb analogy that I've used over and over, but no matter how dumb it is, I keep using it for some reason, but you know, the state, the state of the art or where things are at in construction is from a infrastructure standpoint of data flow. If you think of it like piping mm-hmm. water piping, yep. it's almost like a third world country. You wouldn't go to a third world country and if there happens to be a water fountain, you would never go drink out of that water fountain right because you'd be like i I don't trust that water right. I don't know where it's coming from the quality of the pipes yep. the where the water's coming from to begin with I don't want to get sick well, that's the mentality and rightfully so of every builder is like or owner I'm not trusting that data just coming out of you know that nozzle because I have no. There's no underlying process. Mm. There's nothing I can look that represents an infrastructure and piping that I can trust. So we're building that piping that everybody's gonna will appreciate and know. Okay, that's legitimate. Mm. I get it. There's, there's piping infrastructure. I see how it flows. Yeah. I know where the data. I know where the data's coming from and how it's being, uh, not manipulated, but how it's how it's being cultivated. And so I, yes, I will drink that water because I have confidence now that it's flowing through pipes that I believe in.
1: I think that's a great analogy. Um, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Steve, we met at a point in time with this, the conception of this company. I think you were really early back when we first met. You were a reference for a candidate I placed at a construction tech company, right? Um, And that's how you and I got together. And I asked you what else you're working on. And we, you know, told me a little bit about this idea that you were, I don't know at what stage you were at at that point with the product and traction in the market, but I think it was pretty early, right?
2: Yeah. It was, you know, call it the prototype stage. And we were, we had beta customers that were giving us feedback, but it wasn't a commercially established uh, platform at that stage. It was definitely kind of beta, Mm -hmm. alpha uh you know level stuff
1: what can you tell me about the milestones that you've achieved just high level uh kind of from well, i don't know 3 or 4 years ago whatever it was up to today and kind of where you're at today
2: um well um well there was a big uh pandemic that occurred during that time frame
1: <laughs> right
2: It's really just uh you know threw a wrench in 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 so many people's you know plans and everything Um, So, you know, if you just think about it, call it post-pandemic, the milestone set was, you know, really from a standing start, you know, going from what were, you know, validated prototypes and building a platform that as we sit here today has not just 11 standalone solutions, but just the entire underpinnings and infrastructure of a broad-based platform and all of the other elements that go with that Um, milestone wise, I'm just blown away from the, you know, from the standpoint of how quickly we've been able to build and deliver a high quality platform uh, in, in, in a short period of time. And, you know, this all really culminated first quarter of 2022 um, you know, Uh, get a team and scale the team up over time over the course of 2022 and then the ability to go live with a commercially viable platform uh in the middle of q1 of this year um where we had uh three Primary solutions of the eleven built and delivered, with one or two in the works, um, as we went, you know, commercially live, and to be where we are today, I just think is phenomenal, and it's a complete credit to our team. I mean, we just have just an absolute amazing group of people that are designing. I mean, our design gets. Compliments at almost every customer interaction that I have. Nice for its intuitiveness. It's like interoperability between solutions. It's just yeah, the, the the ease of implement. I mean, there's practically no implementation required because uh, you know, as our early design and development team got together, aspirationally. You know, I had shared with them, I said, you know, all of the construction tech that I have seen has been just overly gadgeted, widgeted, just too complicated, requires an enormous amount of training, uh, implementation. I mean, just, I don't want to build that. I don't want to have my name on something like that because I just, I would never adopt something like that or it would make more work, not less. And that's not what we're all about. You know, the iPhone, as an example, I said, you can take this thing right out of the box and two-year-olds know how to use it. I mean, I literally witnessed my oldest daughter at the age of 18 months start swiping. I was like, we're building something on a B2B scale for construction that is that simple and easy to use. And that is our, you know, North Star as it would relate to, um, you know, design and and the execution, all of the code behind it. Yeah. And, and she's just done a, an, an amazing job and, you know, just our entire engineering team, just taking our domain expertise and what we can share with them and how I, you know, we outline that in the business case, and the use case, they put their own. I mean, it's, that is the cool thing is they are all coming from doing platforms at the B2B scale for other industries. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And- uh, finance, uh, uh, pharmaceutical and bioscience and research. And so, you know, they're bringing amazing perspectives, amazing ideas, amazing solutions that um, we can learn from and, and adopt or adapt to fit construction. And, you know, I'm a big believer in I don't want to replicate just chapter and verse, how things are done today. Yeah. But at the same time, not, the way things are done today is not broken at all. We have amazingly smart pre construction professionals doing amazing work. They just haven't been supported by technology. So we, we want to complement it. We're not looking to disrupt, we're not looking to transform as if something today is broken and not good. And we're the smarter people are going to retrain everybody how it ought to be done. <laughs> not at all. Entirely the opposite. We want to take and replicate the best practices as we find them today, and as you know, I knew them from my experience. Create a digitized version, but how do we layer in subtly ways to incrementally shift how things are done to be more efficient, more um, automated, mm-hmm. and more graphic in nature, and leveraging best-in-class. You know solutions and ideas that are being used and highly adopted in other industries, and so we've got this pool of experience and knowledge being brought to bear on designing and building our platform, and it has just made all the difference in the world. We, like I said, we just get compliments all the time about ease of use, the, the aesthetics. It's easy to digest. It's modern. I mean it's clean. It's, it's, it's austere in many ways. So that way it's not confusing and it's really easy to use. And we, every button has a purpose. And if the thing isn't going to provide any value, we're never either going to build it. And if we have and we've made a mistake and it's not being used or is useful, we get rid of it. It's really about simple is hard. <laughs> and it's almost progress by deletion. Anything that we can, delete from a need for our user to have to take an action or to populate or fill something out and we can present to that them to them automatically and save them that one click that one field of entry that's what we're always looking to do because that's how we save everybody time that's how we make less work not more
1: well i when we reconnected recently and i asked you to come on the podcast um i could hear the sound in your voice the tone the depth of the the like how proud you were of the progress that you'd had and the pride of your team and the realization of this vision that you've had so um i'm so excited for you i'm so uh, grateful to have you know been able to sort of see the early stage and now to hear where you're at today with this uh, information you've shared today so when you think about what you're focused on now for the next 12 to 18 months, what are what are some of the top priorities that our listeners can not only benefit from just understanding in terms of where you're headed, but how they might be able to participate in supporting you?
2: Um, well, you know, just as a startup, you're just on this, um, you know, rocket ship of a treadmill. You got to continuously run faster and faster and faster that we're continuing to grow. Um, and so... We're, you know, adding people. In fact, we're literally adding four new team members this week alone. Um, but, uh, you know, over the next year, goals and objectives that we have are, you know, we're going to virtually double the capacity of our platform in terms of number of workflow solutions, value add, etc. because we're just getting started. Like I mm-hmm. said, we have that well-developed roadmap, so it's really just executing on that roadmap, continuously building all of the stuff we've mapped out in front of us, literally sitting on the shelf ready to be built with customer input and all that. So <clears throat> we're we're just plowing ahead through that. Um, we are uh, we've got our ears pinned back and we're getting ready for uh, our Series A, which we anticipate raising in the you know mid uh year of 24 third quarter time frame so um that's obviously something that we're laying all the preparations and gearing up for mm-hmm. uh, and you know as we add more people it's just you know continually defining and 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 instilling and maintaining that high sense of culture that we have among our team because You know, I'm just, you know, team is an absolute, it's a value, right? It's just part of who we are. And that's something that constantly needs to be nurtured and expanded. And and as we grow, we have to, we have to uh, adopt or adapt rather to make sure that we, you know, we're, we're scaling culture and how we do things as we scale and grow our infrastructure. And as we scale and grow our team and our customer base, so
1: going to be an exciting year, Craig. What advice would you give someone who is embarking on a job search more generally in, in this, in this industry? I guess we can call it pre-construction, keep it a categorical.
2: Uh, yeah. Um, well, I think what's cool is, that, uh, you know, literally in the last, I would probably say the last five to eight years as the technology has gotten to be a little bit more say friendly mm-hmm. to engage with and, and, and be a part of um anybody that say has been in the general contractor or subcontractor ranks and you know they've been doing projects over and over they've mastered their craft in the last five to eight years I think the opportunity and I think the um I think technology as a core component of construction has grown significantly So now you have more options. Mm -hmm. You can find a job being a PM. Um, You can find a job being an estimator, but now as a, maybe an an additional option, you can play a role in a construction tech company, even though you don't know how to code, right? There's things, there's value you can add from the technology side of the equation. Um, And it's not that big of a, it's not that big of a leap in, in, and be able to kind of learn up what you know what what's involved and what it takes so i think i would encourage people to not rule it out and to think about it if they are you know looking for something new and fresh and a change um but i think any you know beyond that i think any person just searching for a job within this industry it's a it is a hard business construction in general and it's a demanding business so you know Make sure that you're going to end up at a company that appreciates you and values you. Make sure that you are going to bring something to the table with hard work and passion and you know knowledge and skill sets, because it is a two-way street with any company that you would um, sign up with. Um, and you know, just you know, bring the passion and, and the hard work, and you'll be quite successful. Uh, wherever you land, um, and then of course, like I said, you have the added benefit of you know working on the technology side. And the same thing holds true. It's demanding. It's time oriented, and 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 what have you. But <clears throat> um, being able to to gain experience within the brick and mortar side of it, if you will, and then you know play a role on the technology side, I, I, I see as an exciting opportunity, particularly for the for the younger people that maybe have done it for a year or two we have a fantastic customer success manager who you know he's been an estimator for you know a a few years you know and 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 learned the craft maybe not even got to the point where he's truly mastered it as like a chief estimator would but you know he's he looked up and said hey i i i'm I'm fascinated with the te- the construction technology side of the equation. I I want to I want to try that out and I want to bring the knowledge that I yeah. have gained to benefit a company and and so we obviously connected and um you know it's been great. I think it's been refreshing and fresh for him and you know we certainly um have been able to add somebody with construction knowledge to to our team and that's always a benefit but Also the appreciation and the technical, you know, agility to be effective within a technology company as well. Again, he doesn't, doesn't need to, nor does he know how to write code. There's so many facets of technology that isn't just code writing.
1: So would you rather bring somebody from construction and teach them the technology and software side? Or would you rather, uh, find someone that knows the technology and software and they've like had some experience selling into that world? Are you privy to one or the other? Uh, now
2: it it really does depend on the on the role mm-hmm. and the and there's advantages to both both ways but um in certain areas it makes sense to bring in fresh ideas from you know just the technology sector without having any construction experience and then in other ways it's better to have the construction background and you know you learn what is needed of your role from a technology company perspective. So it, it it really just depends.
1: Are there any particular qualities that you look for in people that you want to hire for your team? Like just two or three off the top of your head that are the most kind of critical things that at the end of the day, all things being equal, you pick someone over someone else. Fire in the belly.
2: <laughs> yeah, you. There's no replacing that if you, and there's no training that you either. I think you either really have it or you don't. And, um, and if you don't have it, then you need to find the line of work that ignites it Mm -hmm. because I would assume he has it, but it just depends on where, where they're applying themselves. But, you know, for me, I'm not going to hire. And the biggest mistakes I've hiring mistakes I've made is hiring somebody I wasn't sure had the fire in the belly and was hoping that they did and was giving them the benefit of the doubt and finding out that they really didn't. Mm -hmm. I think first and foremost, they've just got to have fire in the belly. They got to want it. Um, you know, and then, um, you know, after that, it's, it's obviously teamwork. You've got to be a, a team player and be a big part of, uh, proactively of, of, of helping shape and grow and uh, be an active participant of the team. Um, I'm not a big fan. I coach uh, my kids' sports, soccer lacrosse is the main sport that I've coached for years. I've even coached basketball, even though I'm a terrible basketball (laughs) player, but uh, you know, and you can see this all the way up to the, like the NBA. If you have five guys on the floor and they're all a bunch of uh, uh, individuals and they're just in it for them, they don't go very far. I mean, we've lost, we've, we've lost out of the Olympics as USA, because we've fielded a team with no team chemistry and just a bunch of you know egos in it for themselves, and you just can't have that. So you got to bring on somebody who's very team oriented. Um, those are my top two. Those are my top two. I mean, the obvious ones that you know don't even need to make the list are: Are you honest and have integrity, mm-hmm. and you know, that, that's 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 a given. But fire in the belly and 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 really a a team oriented, team spirited person is is critical.
1: Well, if one of our listeners wanted to come work for you. Um, How would they go about it and what would be a really unique approach someone could take to really blow you away and make you want to hire them right on the spot? Well, well,
2: you know, what does set people up or differentiates them is when they come to the conversation, whether it's an interview or just really a cold call. And they've done a lot of homework, Mm -hmm. right? They've done their research. They know exactly what we're about. They know exactly what, and they have some of their own opinions
1: mm.
2: um, as opposed to, I've had too many interviews where you ask them, Hey, do you have any questions? And they either like either no, and clearly they hadn't done any homework and they're just talking to a lot of people. Uh, or they've asked you some really basic questions that they're pretty much probably making up on the fly. Don't do that. <laughs> do your homework Do your research. come knowledgeable. Cause that just shows interest and commitment. Um, and then, um, you know, just really find ways to show us or me what you're all about. And that can come through not in what you studied and, you know, just the different roles you've done at diff- with different employers. It's, you know, what are you bringing to the table? What are you going to bring to the table that will contribute and make our company better? And how do you go about it? And, you know, drawing from those experiences and obviously highlighting the skills and what you've done at whatever stage of your career that you're at. But, you know, convince me that when coming on board, you're going to make the team better and stronger. You're going to make the company better and stronger and you will have my attention.
1: I love it. What is your most exciting kind of five-year crystal ball outcome? And this doesn't have to be business. It can be, or it can be personal, or you can do one for both. Give me a a bit of your forecasting uh, crystal ball vision real quick what is that what is what's happening in five years in steve's life whether personal or business or both
2: well and over the next five years we'll be obviously building an amazing company that five years from now will be hopefully great i know it'll be great and how big it is and the impact that it's making remains to be seen but our vision and our goal is to build a, a not a big company just to be a big company but if we have built a platform at the scale and impact that I know we can, it's going to be, it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge in the way it affects people's lives. It's going to be huge in the way it allows more of what we desperately need built to get built because too many projects these days are deemed to not be viable from a cost perspective, especially mm-hmm. I know that there is so much not fat because everybody's converting the fat to profit. It's scared money. Mm -hmm. It's You got all of these contingencies because you're dealing with such imprecise, imperfect information. And you're, as the natural process in our industry, you're being expected to take on that risk and responsibility. And so naturally everybody's got to cover their butts and that adds up. And I, I know, and I'm fully convinced there's at least at a minimum, 15% 15% of this collective fat in, these, in, in, in a pro forma that can be excised out over time. And then all of a sudden, a no-go turns into a go. Wow. You go from red light to green light, and more schools can be built, more hospitals can be built, more infrastructure can be built, more housing can be built. And I know in five years, we're going to start to really make a dent in that. And that's what I'm excited for. All
1: right. If you could go back and give yourself one bit of advice early in your career, that's non-obvious, what would you tell yourself having learned what you've learned? You know,
2: yeah, I think um, one of the things, well, I know this is rapid fire, so I won't give you a lead in, meet more people and create a larger, broader network. Hmm. And I found this to be true in the technology, you know, startup space. So many people go out of their way to help you when you reach out and you're connected, even through somebody else. And in the construction world, it tends to be very closed off. Everybody's, you know, getting pitted against one another. So you're just reluctant to share and you're reluctant to extend yourself to meet somebody, even if they're a competitor. And I look back and I wish I had actually been not that I'm not an extroverted person, but I wish I had allowed myself to just extend myself and have an even larger network than I presently have, because I know I, you know, consciously, you know, maintained a much more reserved position. And I think you're just so much stronger with a bigger, broader network because, you know, it's, it's really a relationship business and you just never know how you can help somebody else out, how somebody can help you out. So it's just, really good to build that network and and invest in it.
1: I want to ask you if you'll go a level deeper on that. Imagine someone's listening who's like, okay, cool. I, I, I get it. Talk to more people, build a, a wider, broader network. Is there one sort of principle-based thing that people could do to make a bigger impact in having that network actually mean something in a way where it's memorable? I mean, I could reverse engineer some of the things that you've already said about having a fire in the belly and an orientation toward being a true team player. And maybe that's as simple as the answer is that you need to learn what you want to communicate and what you want to leave people with in terms of a feeling and an understanding of who you are. So they think of you when there's an opportunity. Is there a a layer below that that would make your advice to people or to your younger self more impactful for how to stand out and be memorable?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, look, the network is not just, okay, I I need to know this person because I'm going to get something out of that relationship Mm -hmm. in, in the future. This is really about a network where you can get involved in organizations and working together. You're building those relationships and that network with the individuals, but for a common cause. And it could be community oriented. It could be, um, you know, uh, the the AGC or DBIA. It doesn't matter. Do it in a way that you're actually going to contribute to the industry and contribute to making things You know better and along the way you're going to meet a lot of fantastic people and have something in common and so when you do connect then you know you're just you will get something out of it you'll get you'll get some level of joy you'll get some camaraderie and and friendship out of it and then you never know like i 10 years ago i never knew i would have been launching a you know technology startup company and I fortunately had the network that when I arrived at that moment in time, I had people that I had maintained a relationship with that I couldn't lean on. And so that would be my, my advice.
1: What's something that's happened to you in your career that few people will believe that you haven't already talked about?
2: Uh, yeah, A fun thing is that um, through my father, who was um, pretty high level at the Pentagon, Uh, The Navy sponsors these um, uh, VIP tours where you can actually fly out of Coronado, San Diego Mm -hmm. on the cop, land on an aircraft carrier, um, get a tour of, you know, the massive carrier that has 5000 sailors and, you know, aviators and all that on it and stay the night on the carrier and have dinner with the captain or the admiral. And then you get shot off the catapult the next day and you fly out and you return to Coronado. I got to do that twice. And we did that. Uh, and I was able to bring um a bunch of the other fellow leaders uh, from my former company. And, and we had a blast, but it wasn't just entertainment. Although getting landing and getting caught on the arresting wire wow. shot off is like other. Um but they gave us this tour and you know, credit to the Navy and the, you know, the armed forces. We were tore through every aspect, the munitions down to the food galley and the, and the, and the, and the massive freezers they have to feed 5,000 people while at sea. And every single sailor stood up and presented what they did to this, you know, gaggle of 15, 20 strangers. Um, and, Confidence knew exactly what their role was and their duty was proud of what they were doing. And a lot of these folks, you know, came from difficult backgrounds and walks of life and the military really opened the door for them to become a better version of themselves and they embraced it. And that system that the military has was just phenomenal. And I, to this day was just blown away how you can just take, I think the average age is less than 23 on the ship and they're doing amazing important things and whether you're the cook or you're arming the bombs or you're the actual you know pilot getting shot off the deck in an f-18 i mean it is just it was amazing an amazing experience and to this day my friends when we're together we talk about you know those two trips it was pretty phenomenal
1: all right what's your favorite book podcast or piece of content that's impacted your career and why
2: Um, I've shared this before on other podcasts. There's this one book called Freedom's Forge, Mm -hmm. and I'm a big history buff. And so, I mean, there's no shortage of books on presidents and, you know, American history, European history, whatever that I, you know, that I read and I I get so much out of them. But Freedom's Forge was about the, you know, the, the lead up and the preparation to for America to enter World War II and the early recognition by, um, the, um, Roosevelt administration that, hey, we are going to get dragged into this war, whether the, 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 the country knows it or not, and we are ill-prepared. And so um, they had uh, several people, but Knutsen was the one guy that they grabbed from the automotive industry, and they brought him in and just said, hey, you have to retool America to be able to produce bullets, planes, tanks at scale. And it's a fascinating, fascinating book on how how they had the presence of mind so early to be thinking about the needs and then rapidly at an enormous scale like nobody's ever seen work with the private sector to reposition all of like Ford's uh, automotive and parts factories to produce airplanes or tools to produce airplanes. I mean, it is. So if you're a construction industry junkie like myself, to think about the heaven and earth that was moved to do what ultimately produced things that the enemy could just not keep up with is a fascinating story. I encourage anybody to read Freedom's Forge.
1: All right. Last question here and we'll wrap it up. What are you most passionate about outside of work?
2: Well, I mean, family's the obvious answer. Um, Got a. Uh, an amazing family. My wife, my two daughters, um, currently um, one's a senior in high school. So she's about to launch into her uh, college chapter of life. And we're excited for that process to be over, quite honestly, <laughs> in terms of the application and selection process. But, you know, as she enters that stage, it's going to be a lot of fun. And then I have an 11-year-old daughter and she's, you know, in sixth grade, she's fantastic. And I've had the benefit of figuring out you know, in a way to juggle all of this, how to also coach their sports teams. And so it's just been really fun to, you know, have a role in their life like that. It, you know, does help me force allocation of time outside of work and just general family activities in the evening to play an active role there, but also, you know, within our community, just their friends and, and how to you know, help them grow as, as young people and, um, you know, be the best version of themselves. And I've been coaching these kids since they were, you know, in the, you know, like six, seven year olds, and then you take them all the way up to high school. And it's just amazing to see how they grow as, as people and accomplish a lot on the field. And, you know, you can just see them evolve. And, um, so that's a lot of fun. And I get pretty, you know, again, it's right back to that team thing. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it just uh, for me is fun. It's a passion. It's a hobby. And, you know, you're investing yourself into helping other people be, make themselves better. And I just get a lot of, get a lot of reward out of that. And, you know, there's a lot of things that I learn and mistakes I can make and how I approach things at work and with people in the team that, you know, educate me on, Hey, I better think about doing this differently and better when I'm on the, the field this evening with, you know, this, you know, U 12 lacrosse team that I'm coaching and how to approach these situations and vice versa. You know, I've learned a lot and practiced a lot and you know, as I'm teaching kids and then I'm confronted with a situation with adults, and sometimes those adults can act like kids. And so you <laughs> can <laughs>
1: that's
2: start to recognize and and solve situations in a way that's, you know, productive and and with a positive outcome intended. So yeah, that would be – there's not too much time left over from that. It's either, you know, the startup, family and coaching, and then, you know, I do like to build things. So, you know, the, the, the projects around the house never seem to end. So that keeps me plenty busy outside of that, and the venture partner, you know, help and support it, provide those venture capital funds. And then I'm also proud to say uh, I'm also an advisor to eight fantastic construction tech companies at all different stages in their journey. But as many people went out of their way to help me when I was trying to figure out Concentric, it's my way of paying that forward and helping out those companies. And I enjoy that a lot. And um, it's great to work with those founders on their own journey. And I learn from them and they learn from me. And it's just, uh, it's a lot of fun.
1: All right. Uh, any final thoughts you want to leave with our listeners?
2: Well, not knowing exactly who's listening, um, you know, if there's anything I can do to help or if there's any interest in what we're doing, you know, I'm, I'm an open book. So feel free to reach out to me, um, Steve at concentric, Concentric dot Concentric.com is our website where um, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. But I think, you know, leaving any, if I had to sum up to what, I think helps me achieve the success that I've had is, you know, really also follow a mantra of progress, not perfection, mm-hmm. you know, just ch- constantly trying to move forward, not getting, getting, hung up on trying to make everything perfect. You know, it's just really about plowing forward and, and, um, you know, not dwell on perfection or things missed, but just keep moving forward and, As long as you're making progress, you're doing well.
1: What a great way to wrap things up. Thanks for doing this again, for coming on the show. I know our listeners are going to get a lot of value from it. So thanks again.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you, Craig, for having me.
0: And that's a wrap on this episode of the Bear Hug Experience. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please give us a like, click, follow, or subscribe. We appreciate you taking a moment to give us a quick rating and a written review so we can continue to expand our reach and inspire the next generation of leaders to help make this world a better place. You can also contribute to the conversation around this specific episode by using the comments section or whatever platform you're on. And last but not least, if you have direct feedback, a question, or a guest you'd like to suggest that we have on the show please shoot us an email at podcast at bearhugrecruiting.com or visit bearhugrecruiting.com forward slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And we look forward to having you join us again on another episode of the Bear Hug Experience.